Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 622. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because it'll help you to feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. We're recording later than we usually do. It is a Tuesday morning, so we usually record on Monday. So Kathy and I are had a wedding this weekend, so we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants. We have a kid who's homesick, so... And we want to say that um, my niece Maddie married her love Hannah this weekend, and it was the most beautiful, warm wedding, and it was so great. And Todd was the officiant, and the girls were in the wedding party, and it was just such a great uh, family experience and getting to know Hannah's family better. And I just really, and we just talked to Maddie two seconds ago. She FaceTimed us. So it's just, that's kind of, I'm, I've got her energy going into this show. Yeah. So it was a really good experience. So um, Kathy and I have both brought one piece to this podcast. Neither one of us know what the other one has brought. So I'm going to summarize my piece in a sentence and I'm going to formulate this on the fly. It's historical conditioning and why we do the things we do. Huh. Okay. Interesting. What's your one sentence description of Um, where we're going to go today? Getting out of rhythm and why it's a good thing. Ooh, interesting. Uh, It's hard for me to get out of rhythm because I'm so rhythmic. (laughs) Um, But first, a few things. Uh, Men Living is doing a workshop at the end of the month. I should probably figure out what day. It's the last Wednesday in October. I think it's the 28th, but I'll include the date in the show notes. But it's on psychedelics, exploring the medicine. uh, Who's doing it? Sean Emerson, president of our board, is going to be leading a panel of three men who have experience with psychedelics. We don't endorse it. We don't say it's good. We don't say it's bad. We're just going to create a platform for these guys to share their experience. Um, The one thing I will say is I always just kind of had this idea like, oh, psychedelics equals bad because they're illegal. And then like three years ago, Brene Brown was talking about Michael Pollan's book Mm -hmm. saying this is something that people that we should we should delve into more. She wasn't saying it's good or it's bad, but the minute I heard Brene say it, I'm like, oh, wow, maybe this is legitimate, maybe something I should look at. Well, and I think what she's talking about is if you understand the history of psychedelics and how there really was an, an attempt and a cultural shift to make them bad, when really there had been some research done around why they could help us Um, with our own mental health and with uh, dealing with trauma, there had been some inroads and then all of a sudden it became like bad. And then there was a whole, what am I looking for? A propaganda around all of it. So I'm like you, I don't have, um, I'm not endorsing or saying we should, but I am interested in how psychedelics can play a role in helping people deal with trauma. Mm. I mean, if there's, we're already, we already are taking all these medicines. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like there's all these other drugs <laughs> right. that are okay, but these other ones are not. So the thing that I will say though, that I talk, cause we've talked to the girls about this, especially my daughter who's in college now, because you know, these things are out there is that that doesn't mean that recreational use exactly. is okay. Exactly. It means that with therapeutic intervention and with support and with someone helping you through the process, it can be possibly effective. Yeah. We don't know. It's not like, Hey, go do drugs, no. go do mushrooms with your friends. No. That's not what we're talking no. about. Um, but I think my friend, Mike, who lives in Oregon says mushrooms are about to become legal recreational in the state of Oregon. Wow. 
which is just crazy. Can you imagine that 10 no, years ago? I can't. Like what? You and I both still have a lot of that shame and heaviness of around drugs. Mm-hmm. Like you, you and I like got the same messaging about that they are bad. Yep. And um, so there's a lot of people who in our age group, friends of ours who experimented a lot, and you and I really didn't. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard, it's harder, I think, for people like you and I to because we like we followed authority. Mm-hmm. We were like, oh, it doesn't mean we didn't do it anything. I just mean not in the way a lot of people have had experiences. Like when I talk to certain friends, I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't have that. Yeah. I didn't do that. Yeah. Um, and then the other quick uh, shout out is to Team Zen. We just recorded Zen Talk number 129. It happened to be that everybody who had a question. It had to do with their teenage sons. Oh, interesting. So one was about mom guilt. One was about uh, the son was being a jokester in the classroom, getting in trouble. And the other was a teenage son having a temper tantrum. Yeah. So that was 129. And Zen Talk 128 was about sports and sneaking out after the parents go to bed. Thank goodness our kids are on the second floor, but they could figure out how to sneak out if they really wanted to, I think. Yeah, well. I was never a sneaker outer. I was. Sweetie was. So yeah, maybe I didn't do a lot of psychedelics, but I did Yeah, you snuck out. out. Um, and then cheating on tests. So if you're interested in joining the team, it's uh, it's a community of support. We have exclusive content, awesome community, community of parents. Uh, first month's free just to check us out. So go to our webpage and sign up for free and see, see, what, you, see what you think of it. So do you want to go first or you want me to go first, sweetie? Um, uh, well, maybe I can just start us out and it'll maybe connect to yours. Okay. Um, I was thinking this morning about what it means to be out of rhythm. I was actually thinking a little bit about our interview with Jason Gaddis last week and how we kind of found this connection in, in that in my book, I talk a lot about um, Richard Rohr's definition of natural rhythm, which is order disorder, reorder. Mm-hmm. And in Jason Gaddis's book, he he just says connection, disconnection, reconnection, which we can use whatever words we want. It's the same thing. And what we talked about on the podcast with him is how that is really the natural way of things, mm-hmm. right? You know, you think about anything, like what's coming into my head is like a wave from the ocean. Like it's flat and then it goes up and then it crashes and then it goes back mm-hmm. and then it's flat and then it goes... And that's kind of the way that human beings' life goes as well, is that there is a purpose to getting out of rhythm. So we can call it like Mm. rhythm, non-rhythmic, and then back in rhythm. Mm. Um, And why I think this is important is I have noticed, and and I'm saying this as like a positive thing, that I am so much better at getting out of rhythm now than I used to be. And, And I'm trying to figure out how and when the change occurred. I think some of it is the pandemic experience um, and learning to adapt faster. I think that there's something in my mind and body that adapts faster. I think it's because I feel better. Like I, I've been, I have a new, um, my migraines aren't as free, frequent anymore because I actually got the help I needed and um, I just feel better. So my ability to adapt to things and be out of rhythm is I'm less anxious about it. So, so one quick, um, point of clarification, you said you're, you're, you're getting better at getting out of rhythm. And I think what you mean is that once you find yourself out of rhythm, you can deal with it 
in a much more manageable way versus it sounds like you're intentionally getting out of rhythm. No, no, no. Good question. Uh, No, I am not trying to get out of rhythm to prove anything to myself or anyone else. What happens is because I'm in the natural flow of life, um, things get out of rhythm or they get disordered or there is a disconnection. And I don't have the same anxious feelings about Mm -hmm. it. I don't, sometimes I don't have any feelings about it. It just is what it is. And, and I find it to be for me, um, progress in, in life, you know, like where I just feel like my adaptation, um, is healthier and, and I don't, worry. So this, I wrote, I was actually writing down a bunch of things that I think this ability to trust in the natural rhythms of life affects. I think it will decrease our need to be perfectionistic. Mm-hmm. I think it decreases perfectionism because a lot of perfectionism is I don't want disorder. Yeah. And if you can get comfortable with disorder or disharmony, knowing that that's part of the rhythm, then that will decrease. I think it will connect us more to a sense of fluidity that we understand that part of fluidity is 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 going through the more like uncomfortable the things we didn't the more unpredictable times and understanding that's part of the process i think it'll lessen our fear there's a lot of people i know who um who do certain things like meditate or do yoga or go for a run or wear certain clothes or get up at a certain time almost in a superstitious way so nothing bad will happen that day mm-hmm. like they kind of like put these things, they do certain things because they, they, they want everything to go as planned. And, and maybe sometimes it does, but I would say at least 60% of the time it's not going to. And so if you have a understanding of that and that getting out of rhythm, here's like my, my final like realization about it is that's where you add new information. Because if you want to always be in the same connection or in the same um, like flow without any distraction or disharmony, then you're always going to be doing the same thing repetitively. There's nothing new, Mm -hmm. you know? So I guess I have a few thoughts, but first I want to go back to what you just said, adding new information. Do you mean that once you find yourself out of rhythm or in a place of disconnection, then add new information so you can deal with it better? Is that what you mean? A little, actually, another good question. Um, yes. Where if something doesn't go as planned, you research other things or seek out other people to get information, or you realize that if something don't, doesn't go as planned, that you may need eight hours of sleep instead of five, Mm -hmm. or if something doesn't go as planned and you disconnected from someone, or there was some kind of, um, disorder that you then look at something and have, have a self-awareness practice where you're like, wait, I'm not really listening to people. Mm. There was a disconnection because I want to pay better attention. So I feel like the disorder or the disharmony or the disconnection is where we open up to the new ideas. I think that's when we evolve. Correct. We don't evolve when we're in order and we probably don't evolve as much when we're in reorder. Mm -hmm. We probably evolve the most when we are in disorder. Yes. Um, So in addition to what you just said is adding new information, uh, a few things I would add to that list of when we find ourselves in this place of disconnection or just when it hits the fan, you're having a bad day for whatever reason. Um, I think uh, obviously I just read this in your book that comes out on February 1st, Uh first or second? First. is um, 
Kristen Neff, self-compassion, yeah. self-acceptance. Can you, can you accept, because what I usually do is I blame myself for whatever crap hit the fan. Right. So my first step is, can I love myself enough to know that I did my best? And even though I did my best, it's still, my day's still not going according to plan. And then the other thing I would add to it is the expression of emotions, which is something I talk about all the time, probably because I'm not as good at it as many other people. Um, so yeah, new information, what's here to be learned. Mm -hmm. Can we accept ourselves for whatever's happening in this moment or can we accept this moment in general, right? Because most of the time we're just like swimming upstream, like we want something to happen, like the White Sox were supposed to play yesterday, but it got, it rained, it, there was a rain out. So like I can either just get mad or just have an acceptance that, yeah, sometimes when you want it to be sunny, it's rainy. Correct. And that you don't have control over it and that this is kind of the big shift in thinking. And I, I you know, I'm going to get kind of a, a grander way of looking at this is it was not supposed to be meaning like, okay, let me talk about this. I did a Zen parenting moment called visualization. I, it's went out last week, I think, or the week before. And it was called, it basically what I did is I told a story about how when I was first getting into speaking, mm -hmm. like in my 20s and, and upward, onward, that a lot of people would say to me, you know, visualize yourself speaking, visualize the way you want it to go, and then we'll go that way. And that's a very like the secret kind of way, you know, law of attraction kind of way, like just think it, you know, make it be so. And a lot of times that would be helpful, like it, it's a confidence builder, it kind of gets you, it primes you to do something that, you know, something well. But I also always fought against it, my body always fought against it, because how am I supposed to know how it's going to go? Like the idea that I am the only one in control of this experience. And I don't mean that I allow other people or things or rain or noises in the room to bring me down, but maybe those things add to the experience. Maybe people's questions add to the experience. Maybe the people in the front row who are frowning at me help me smile more. Maybe, and I guess my point is, is it doesn't, mean that I can only do one or the other. I can visualize myself doing well and also allow other people in the room to contribute. But I, and I know Todd, you know this about me. I feel like I'm a better speaker or podcaster when I walk in and just allow it to come mm -hmm. instead of Force like, it. this is what we're going to talk about. Here's our bullet points. I am not good at that because I, I can do it, but there's no room in it for something interesting. Well, I have a really interesting example. Okay. We went to see Rob Bell last Wednesday. I don't know. Thursday matter. night. Yeah. Rob is, is one of my favorite public speakers and it's because he does it with such precision. I always think of the everything is spiritual part two tour where he had that big dry erase board mm -hmm. and it, and he knew exactly where he was going every minute of his talk. He had it down. Yeah. And then last Thursday or whenever it was, he completely flip flopped it and basically made it more improvisational. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that a lot of us, and you talked about the perfectionist and I think Rob has a little bit of that and we all do. Can we allow the moment to show up in a way that it's meant to show up. So like allow for a, for creativity to just show up as opposed to plan it, organize it with, and there's nothing wrong with either one of no. them, but can we, and I, for some reason I think of Michael Jordan because I remember Michael used to say, I want to let the game come to me. Thank you. And yes. what that 
what I got out of that is instead of Michael forcing, driving down the lane, making sure his team gets ahead, he at least in the fourth quarter, he tended to, to not let the game come to him and he just took control of it. But usually in the beginning of the game, he allowed for space to happen. And instead, of, it's kind of like a baseball hitter. If, if you're trying to hit a home run, you're you're less likely to hit a home run. If you're trying to drive the ball hard, you know, drive a single in the gap or whatever it is, you're more likely to hit a home run. So those are two sports oh, examples of it. So instead of trying to hit because you adjust your, you know, your shoulders, your bat, if you're trying, you know, you're trying to swing up on it. And sometimes it doesn't help when you swing up on the ball. If you're just trying to hit the ball solidly mm-hmm. and you get the backspin, backspin rotation on the ball, that's what elevates the ball, not you trying to hit it upwards. Mm-hmm. And, and you can say the same thing about golf all the time. So anyways. Well, it's so Todd, uh, last week you and I had this talk one night because I, um, you know, to people who listen to the show, you won't be shocked, but I listen to a lot of podcasts about um, cults and behaviors and cults and, and and people who have gotten out of them and people who have been in them. Okay. So part of that, when you like expand on the understanding of cults is sometimes it can get cultish around certain teachers. Mm -hmm. And I, the reason I'm interested in, in all of this is because I am not pointing my fingers at people. I have been this person. And so I'm interested in my own psychology. I'm interested in people who continue to follow teachers who have harmed them. I'm interested in the human behavior. And I was listening to a podcast about one of Todd and my teachers that we've always enjoyed. And I was kind of sharing with him what I was listening to because um, sometimes a teacher can be really good at what they do and also cause harm with what they do. And that both things can be true at once. I always hold paradox. I never look at someone and just say, they're, they're now they're a horrible human being. But can we see how something can be harmful? And my example is sometimes teachers can teach things in a way that make it so perfectly refined that there's no room for human experience. Mm-hmm. And so they'll say, you need to do A, B, and C. And if you do that, then your life will turn out this way. Oh, your life didn't turn out that way? Well, then you what did you do, do wrong? Yeah, you, you didn't do A, B, and C. Think about um, happy, sleep, healthy child. You know, when our babies were little and you'd read this book and be like, oh, they should go to bed at one. They should go to bed at 10. They should go to bed at this time. And then they'll sleep and then they'll wake up and then they'll be happy. And if you had a kid who didn't follow that sleep pattern, you blamed yourself mm. and you were like, it, you did. We didn't leave room for the humanity of the child, which is there's other things going on with this kid. There's other environments, seasons. It we don't get to follow a map um, when it comes to human beings. We can follow a guide, mm-hmm. but not an exact map. And we have to make room. And so the reason I'm bringing that up is because that's really where all my interests are with people. Is expanding that understanding. It, it kind of connects to this and getting out of rhythm that things aren't supposed to go in order of the way you think they should go. Right. And I think the most important thing is knowing when it does get out of order that you don't put on top of that anxiety, shame, and a sense of... Y- that you're just uh, dysfunctional, mm-hmm. that you're doing it wrong. Because if you can allow that to not come in because you trust this process, you can actually work through this disorder or this disharmony or this disconnection with a sense of self. Like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. This didn't work out. But if you pile shame on top of it or there's something inherently wrong with me, 
then that's all you're working on. And and you maybe don't then add in these new elements of awareness. You're just like completely beaten down by the idea that things didn't go the way you planned. And that's why I like the practice, like what Rob Bell did last week. Like that is much more, I've loved all of Rob's things, but I love those kind of things. I, when I, you know, like teaching this morning, I wrote down, I I teach college students and I wrote down on a piece of paper, ACEs. Mm -hmm. And I went in and talked about ACEs. What is ACEs? Um, Adverse childhood experiences. And, And again, that is what I study. So I'm not saying everybody should do that. Like, but if you have an expertise in something, if you study something and you know it, and of course you can write down details or dates or times. I don't mean that you should memorize everything. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I think for my students, it's a lot more fun to hear me talk about this in a like newness. Um, There's a newness because yeah, what freshness. you said today, you've probably never said never before. Never said. Right. And if you teach this a month from now or a year from now, you will say something different. Completely. Um, So one quick realization, I think of Second City versus Saturday Night Live. Oh, great example. Saturday Night Live is skit comedy. Correct. Second City is improvisational. Correct. So I feel like neither one are right or wrong. I do think it's interesting that you are... you prefer SNL over a Second City experience. Would you would you agree with that or no? Well, it's interesting because do you, which one are you think SNL is improv or you no. think Second City? So you said the other way around. Oh, I'm, oh, you mean in real life that I prefer SNL? Well, like if I, I yes, in real life, yes. I'm I'm literally saying, do you want to watch Saturday Night Live or do you want to go to Second City or watch a Second City improv? You're right. I think I do prefer Saturday Night Live. I think it's because the un and you tell me, if, you know, I'm telling you what your experience is, there's more that can go wrong. I judge, and maybe that's not true. SNL skits can bomb just the way an improv can bomb, but there is, I think there's so much more fear for the audience, for the performers uh, at at a Second City performance versus SNL performance. I don't know if that's true. It's just what I'm thinking. Well, and you know what I bring into, I think you're right, and I'm not quite sure if that's, if we could chalk the SNL improv thing up to just access and exposure because I've been to plenty of improv. I lived in the city forever, Mm. but as far as on a weekly experience, I'm watching more sketch, sure. right? Well, it's, um, it's, it's accessible. It's more accessible. So I don't even know if that's a choice as much as it is what's available to me. But I think what's interesting is that we get uncomfortable because we put ourselves in this position. So somebody who, like say my students were like, oh my gosh, Kathy is going to come in and like just talk to us about ACEs and she doesn't have it written down. And they're super uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. I want to be like, you guys don't need to worry. Mm-hmm. I don't mean I'm going to do great and you're going to stand up and clap, but I can I can pivot. Mm-hmm. Like I ask me anything and, and I will – I don't necessarily mean I have the answer, but I feel comfortable – with silence here. I feel this is where I'm comfortable. Now, if you put me in improv, mm-hmm. I would not. Well, it's not your expertise. That's what I mean. And so when when I listen to people who are improv, or, remember that movie that was so good that I loved? What was that movie called? <laughs> it was so good. It was about imp- it was about improv and I kept like pushing it on you like 2 years ago. Yeah, um no the guy from Key and Peele was in it and it was like based on I'll find it. Um okay. I think Mike 
well, anyway. So I love what they do because they're confident in what mm-hmm. they do. So could I go out and do improv? No. But when they have a moment where things go bad, they know what to do mm-hmm. to pivot. Sure. And they may have a night where they say, that didn't go as well. Just like I give a speak, I, I speak to my class or I give a presentation. I'm like, that wasn't great. But I also didn't feel like I didn't know what to say. Well, I feel like, you know, I'm going back to Second City or or uh, Saturday Night Live, I feel like when when improv is good, and same with Rob Bell last week, like when it's good, it's really good. good. And when it's bad, it's really bad. It's uncomfortable. Right. Like what's happening? And there were moments in Rob's thing where I judged that one of the people were not the easiest person to improv with, and he navigated it beautifully. But it, there's more, I feel like there's more at risk. Maybe not, but that's just something I think of. I think there is more at risk. And I think that that's kind of the fear is this is kind of going back to what I mean about getting out of rhythm is I think when we write a speech and we memorize it, we read it, we're like, I'm going to keep, nothing is going to go wrong here mm-hmm. because I have memorized it and I'm going to say it. Mm-hmm. But then it also doesn't allow for any air. It Mm. doesn't allow for the person in the front row who starts crying. It doesn't allow for the sounds from the audience where you say, wait, what did you say? Or did you have a question? You are so tight that that sense of perfectionism where sometimes you can pull it off. Like I have seen, like I do, I, I show TED Talks to my students and I watch them when they're good and people send them to me. But I don't know if I'd be the best TED talk person mm-hmm. because I don't ha- I don't have a memorized like we don't talk about this anymore but years ago you and I used to talk about this like what would we do or mm-hmm. what would I do I don't know like I don't have it one thing I want to talk about yeah and you know I'm sure there's TED Talk speakers that have it scripted and others that roll with it but I would say it probably leans more heavily towards script and preparation I think you have to script it really yeah I think there is and I could be wrong mm, so those of you who have done TED Talks you can email us and say no no it's not like that, but my friends who have done them, mm-hmm. you write it, you rehearse it, mm. you tape it. Yeah, it's, you, it's, it's, it's very more rigid. Because it has to stay in a certain time frame. Yeah, 18 minutes or whatever it is. And they have to know what you're going to say. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. that's, I'm, I don't think I'd be good at that. So before we move on to my topic, I just want to like highlight when you talked about waves. One of my good friends is struggling uh, with something that's going on with his daughter and his his daughter had a really bad day last week mm-hmm. and it was really bad. And then the next day, his daughter had a really, really good day. Yes. And it's just interesting. And I just thought of waves. I thought of Jeff Foster who wrote this book called Radical Acceptance, something like that. He's getting better, by the way. Is he really? He put up a post oh, last so week glad. and he's getting treatment in Germany oh. and, and, and he's starting to come back. I hope so because mm-hmm. he's a wonderful teacher and he's been sick for a while. So, But he talks about waves all the time. And you know, I love nature metaphors mm-hmm. and that's what it is. Like sometimes the waves last two minutes. Sometimes the waves last two weeks. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the waves last, you know, we've had really difficult times in our life where it seemed like we Mm -hmm. were getting crushed by a wave Mm -hmm. day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And then they, but then it does recede. Mm -hmm. So it's just the natural ebb and flow of life. And I think we just judge like where the wave is crashing on us. We, I judge it shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. 
And, and what did I do wrong to make it do What this? did I do wrong? I don't want to feel my feelings. How can this happen? Why, you know, victim consciousness? Why is this happening to me? And I feel like that's kind of what Buddhism is all about. You know, whatever the first noble truth is, life is suffering. Like, I think if we could just agree that sometimes life is tough, because I wake up every day being like, I want the day to go according to plan. It's such a dismissive nature of how to be a human being mm -hmm. yet i want it to go according to my plan mm -hmm. so anyways well maya angelou has a quote and um i'm not quite sure i'm getting this verbatim but it's that every storm runs out of rain mm -hmm. and so there have been things where i'm like okay why is this not running out of rain mm -hmm. i still feel that way with certain leaders who haven't been held accountable um but i also realize that some it's again a time frame that i have that i believe it should happen immediately or i believe it should look this way and we do the same thing with you know let's bring it back to parents Parenting. Um, like one of my one of my girls didn't feel good the other day and she had a headache and it was she felt yucky and it was probably a migraine and it was awful and she was kind of okay with it in the morning and then as the day went on she's like I still don't feel good and I'm like yeah mm -hmm. and she got more anxious and upset because she expected it to be gone at a certain time so do you see how the anxiety and the fear are from the expectation. Mm -hmm. And if you just be like, nope, I still, and again, easier said than done sure. for a kid. Of course. But we can, you know, there are things that we can practice with that are less um, high stakes. So we can practice with things that are not that big of a deal. Like we're in traffic and we expected to get through this light and we actually end up being the the person who has to stop and wait another five minutes at the red light. And we can sit and say to ourselves, I should have been able to get through that or it's that car's fault, but you didn't. So can you, can you practice with low stakes things? Mm -hmm. So then when your kid comes home and you thought they were going to be the, the biggest soccer star ever at the high school and that senior year, they were going to be captain and they decide to quit junior year and you've built up all this expectation that you can actually say to them, tell me about this rather than how dare you. Yeah. Like can, or they came home with a C instead of a B or a D instead of a C. Like, can you, can you be curious about it and realize that something, that that's the space where something can change and maybe something had to shift. And I don't look at these things through the lens of, so just be positive all the time because I don't like it when my kid doesn't feel good. I don't like it when I don't feel good and I don't like it when things don't go the way I planned. So in no way am I saying get happy about it. What I'm saying is I just, I'm noticing in myself, this is like very personal, that I have less tension around mm -hmm. it. I'm just kind of like, like I'm, I'm like, oh my God, that would have just so thrown me for a loop. Yeah. And I didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. I just kind of moved through well, it. Hopefully we get to that point as we grow older, we get smarter, we capture more wisdom, you know, using our experiences. I mean, that's why our 17-year-olds do silly things because they haven't had the experience yet. Hopefully as we get older, we can start using some of these experiences in our lives to make it a little more harmonious instead of has to be a certain way. So, And one last thing, Todd, and then we go to your thing, is that the wedding this weekend of my niece, it was so beautiful, and Todd was the officiant, and the whole service had a, a much more interactive, um, light, say what you need to say feeling 
and and I know you had some things written down and there were some scripted things, of course, but it felt like people could be themselves rather than we have to make this go according to a plan. Mm-hmm. And I think that puts everybody at ease because they know they can laugh and cry because everybody else is like... I don't feel like some some people have such a seriousness around certain things and really the most serious things if held in lightness are so much warmer. Mm. Like I kept saying to Maddie, your service was so warm mm. because everyone was just being themselves. Yeah. Like instead of it has to be perfect. Yeah, it definitely wasn't going to be perfect. And because I was the officiant, I had some influence on how it went. And my hope was not because I could sometimes go too far making it too silly. And it's a serious thing. Like we're yeah, getting yeah, yeah. married. This right. is sacred. Right. Well, at the same time, it's if it's, you know, we were just at a, we've been to plenty of weddings that happen at a church. It's very rigid and solemn yeah. and all yeah. that. And that doesn't work for me either. Thank so you. I was trying to walk in both of those worlds. Right. And I, you know, I thought it worked out pretty well. Yeah, I did too. And and that's just an example of, and it's the same with, you know, you take it to your kids, um, you know, their lacrosse game and they like fall down and a bunch of people topple over and it's like a nightmare. And, and but then they score a goal in the mm. next. What, so it's like, that's the way things are supposed to be. Mm. You're not supposed to have a perfect game. You're not supposed to have a perfect show. You're not everything. It's like, you know, the cracks are where the light gets in. Mm. You know, it's like, that's where things become illuminated and interesting. That's where so, growth happens. So that's it. Um, today's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Cognisprings. Cognisprings is a startup founded by by mothers. They design and sell children's puzzles, activity kits, board games, books, and many more intended to spark the love of learning by tapping into children's curiosity about the world around them. All the products are high quality and durable, designed by parents, and focus on sustainability with a biodegradable packaging, minimal plastics, and toys that help children understand the world around them. Ramya Sitagiri is the founder. Like so many families, her household changed dramatically with the onset of the coronavirus. The biggest challenge she faced, like most parents, was engaging her son in meaningful screen time, which led to founding Cognisprings along with her sister. Every product has a story behind it and evolved out of interaction with her kids. What does that mean to customers? It's already been tested out. So go to Cognisprings.com or simply click on the link in the show notes, which will take you directly to their homepage. And don't forget to enter Zen Parent 20 for a limited time, 20% off. Cognisprings.com. Um, one thing I failed to do at the beginning of our podcast, sweetie, is your Zen Parenting moments. Jim and Ray and Robbie. I don't think Waiting for the Sun gets enough. Uh, you like that song? I love that song. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. So Doors are one of my top two favorite bands of all time. And I couldn't, I, when I saw that Kathy used a Doors quote, I needed to at least bring up this Zen Parenting Moment. So Zen, Zen Parenting Moment, uh, it is an email you get twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. And it's Kathy writing a t- short essay on... I don't know. Well, how would you describe it? Uh, things that happen in life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, I really, they're just written about a feeling or an experience or someone else's experience or just something I noticed. 
And do you remember why you wrote that one in particular? Um, let's see. What was... I drove down the highway feeling lost like the world was closing in. Even the storm clouds seemed to be moving oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. to cover the sun. But when I looked again, I considered that maybe the sun was moving in to cover the storm clouds. Actually, this is perfect for what we're talking about. Like I was talking about my other one called visualization, but this one is about that things always don't go in the order we think they're going to mm -hmm. go in. Like I, what I was writing about was an experience where I was driving, you know, we've all had this where we're like, everything's going wrong and I did it wrong and I'm lost and look at even the sun is about to go away. And then I was like, well, wait a second, which, which is going like, are the clouds covering the sun or is the sun trying to go toward the clouds? And I guess my point is, is that we don't know the order. Like we think there's an order of life and we don't know how things are, but we are co-creating. Sometimes when we say that, that can be thrown into like self-help where we're like, we get to decide and then the universe comes and joins us. Sometimes, and sometimes there's bigger things at play that we cannot control. This is the paradox of like, I believe in setting an intention and manifesting if possible, but it doesn't always go the way we think it's going to go. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't mean we are to blame. That means that sometimes we are part of a system. We are not the creator yeah. of everything. So yeah. So anything else in that? I don't know. Um, what else do you got here? It's hard to discern what's happening in a moment when we have a mental plan of how it should go. We can miss what's actually working when we get stuck in how we believe it should be. Yeah. So what if it's, and and it doesn't like, oh, it's so hard for me to talk about these things because I don't want to get too self-helpy and be like, this is the way it's supposed to go. Because I just finished Kate Bowler's uh, newest book called um, No Cure for Being Human. And her first book was called Everything Happens. And it, it, you know, people would say she had cancer, stage four cancer, and people were like, everything happens for a reason. And she's like, I, I don't think so. Mm. Like, not everything has a reason. Sometimes things happen. Now, can we sometimes take, once something happens, can we take responsibility for doing our best to get better? Sure. But it doesn't mean you were to blame. Mm. There's so much nuance in here. For some reason, I'm thinking of Lance Armstrong, and there's plenty of opinions out there about Lance Armstrong, but I remember somebody saying to him, well, the reason that you got cured of cancer is because your work ethic and you're such a you know finely tuned athlete and all that other stuff. And he said, no, I was just lucky. He's like, there's Thank plenty you. of other people in the cancer ward that work just as hard as I did who are now dead. That's right. So I don't know why I just thought of that, but... Um, well, and it, this really is similar to that, or not the same, but Kate Bowler, actually, she would go to this place to get chemo and Jimmy Carter was there getting chemo too. Isn't oh, that wow. interesting? Yeah. But that's the, that is the case is that in the thing she talks about in her study, and I don't want to ruin the book for people who haven't read it, but this is just one point she makes is there are people in her study that died mm -hmm. and she didn't, mm -hmm. but some people were in control groups and she wasn't. Do you see what I mean? Like yeah. not everybody has the same opportunity and not and and when someone she actually is someone that says I don't like it when people say go out there and fight cancer because she gets it we all get it we understand and we like the warrior kind of you know as you would say archetype mm -hmm. but there's also what what are we it's like we're fighting a wall yeah. like sometimes it's like do your best yeah. um have compassion there's all sorts of pieces um I don't have any final thoughts on that one. And can that be okay too? Yeah, that's what I mean. Right? Yeah. Um, so we only have a few minutes left, which is fine. I just, I wanted to talk about the fact that I 
twice a summer, once in the spring and maybe once in the fall, hire this guy named Lucio to do my landscaping. Yeah, he's awesome. And uh, there's a part of my childhood experience saying, what, you can't, you know, power rake your own lawn or you can't trim your own hedges. The bottom line is I don't like doing lawn work, okay? (laughs) So I am lucky enough to be in a position where I could pay somebody who does it for a living to do it. Second example is neither Kathy and I are huge fans of cooking. No. We like Chipotle. We <laughs> I like, cooked Chipotle tonight. Yeah, it's sweetie sometimes. Like, I cook Chipotle and she'll show up with a Chipotle bag. I'm saying all these things because there's times that we as parents, we do things because that's how it was when I was a little kid. Yeah. When I was a little kid, my Norwegian grandmother would cook some weird meat and a baked potato <laughs> every single night. We'd sit at the table and we would have that. We rarely went out, probably because my parents didn't have enough money to go to McDonald's or wherever it is. And there weren't a lot of to-go places. There weren't a lot of to-go places. But the amount, for those of you who love cooking, bless you, but it's a lot of work. Shopping, prep, eat, clean up. It's a lot of work. So I'm saying this, check why we do certain things. There's a part of me that still feels like we should be cooking more at home because of, 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 uh, and a lack of understanding of money. And I'm like, well, if we do that, then we'll go broke, which is not true. Or it's because, you know, what would my mom be thinking right now? Mm. Who's now passed away. She'd be like, you know, Todd Chipotle every single week. Can't you cook, you know, all these stories that we, we say to ourselves. And I have a feeling that whoever's listening to this has their own version of Chipotle sure. and Lucio, the landscaper, and just check to see why you do certain things. And for me, it's like, you know, like I said, I understand my privilege in even saying this because some people have to do it all, have to do it all. Um, But for those of you who do not just just check to see why you do certain things. And if it's just to fill a story that was told to you 30 years ago to question it, that's all. Well, I, I have so many things to say, but like it also leaves you thinking that you're doing it all wrong when really we cook two or three nights a week. Mm-hmm. The girls make lunch at home mm-hmm. that they take to school and we have breakfast at home. Sure. So you're really just focusing on where am I lacking yeah. and not noticing that we're actually doing a lot of that on our own, but we're just not doing it the same way mm-hmm. that other people are. And on that note, um, I my daughter, JC, came home for the wedding this weekend, of course, and then I drove her back to school yesterday. And she was just telling me about like, you know, there's certain moms who like make these food care packages <laughs> or they're driving up with all this food and, you know, cooking all these things for their fridge. And she's so grateful. And of course, I have this moment of, I suck at that so bad. Like I always have, like, you know, while my girls were growing up, like, you know, parents would come over with these like gift baskets at Halloween of like all these things they made. And I just don't have that. And when I say that I could go on TikTok or something and figure it out. But do you want to do it? I don't want to. So I think if I can encapsulate my, my (laughs) point, don't do things that you don't want to do. Now there's some things we we have have to to do, do. but there's plenty of things that we don't have to do, but we do it anyways. Well, and that's the thing is what I realized in that, like, this is kind of what I mean about the, the quickness of order, disorder, reorder is that JC's telling me something that is real to her. Like we're getting home cooked food. Isn't that great? And I could go one of two ways and I could start 
you know, being like, well, I don't do that and being self-shaming. Mm-hmm. Or I could decide to be on those mom's case and be like, why are they doing that? Mm-hmm. I could go that way. Or I could be like, I'm grateful to them mm-hmm. for doing that, yep. which is the truth because yep. these moms are lovely. And I think I offer something different. You know, she and I talked the whole way up about mental wellness and mental health and and sexual assault on campus. And what I offer is very different. Right. You have a different set of tools. Correct. And for the parent who's super funny, they offer that. And the parent who is help, you know, very academic, they help with that. Like we bring ourselves, but we can't be all the things. And for those of you who are trying to be all the things... Maybe there's some of you out there who just can do that. Um, but where, what could you let go of that maybe you don't need to be? Exactly. And one thing that we let go of is it's okay to have Chipotle once a week or sometimes twice. Well, and it also, you have to remember, Lucio's a great guy yeah. and he, it's his business and it's he and his wife. And it's not about us dumping on him. We love him and he, he, we, there's an exchange. Mm-hmm. We pay him yeah. and he gets, he, his business thrives. I mean, this is what our society is all about. And so, and some of us can't do that, but it's same with keeping restaurants open or businesses open. We give money to people so we can all thrive. Yeah. And can we look at it that way rather than I should be doing all these things myself? Yeah. Um, we're all depending on each other in, in a village kind of mentality. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's all I got. I'm going to play our outro music. Um, I do want to talk about Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout Chicagoland area. Avidco.net, 630-956-1800. Anything else you have, my darling? Oh, I just hope that everybody has a great week and we look forward to doing another show next week. Yes. And hopefully we'll get it to you Tuesday morning. Sorry, it's a little late, yeah, but sorry. you know what? We're going to go easy on ourselves for that too. Life. Life. It happens. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. The best part of what we do is getting to spend time with our listeners in an awesome community of parents who have come together over at Team Zen. Team Zen is a great opportunity to connect as much as you want with a group of like-minded parents, and you'll even get exclusive content from Kathy and me. Find out more about Team Zen on our site, zenparentingradio.com. We know your inbox needs more hopeful and helpful info, so sign up for the Zen Parenting Moment. Two times a week, you'll receive a quick read that will boost your day and improve your outlook. Sign up at zenparentingradio.com. While men and women, moms and dads, parents and non-parents are all welcome here at ZPR, we know most of our followers are female and moms. So today we're shouting out an opportunity that's just for the guys. Men Living creates opportunities for men to gather together to give and get support and build friendship. I am one of the founders of the group, and you'll find me every week helping facilitate our virtual meeting on Wednesday nights at 7.30. Interested or want to share the details with someone you love? You can find the Zoom link at menliving.org. Ready for a Gen X view of personal growth? Join us for Pop Culturing, our podcast filled with humor, fun, and a characteristic emphasis on self-awareness as we explore movies, TV, and pop culture. And don't forget, I coach guys. So if you're interested, head on over to toddadamscoaching.com and schedule a one-on-one session. First session is free. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald head of beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.